Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back. Well, we uh, kind of left off uh, in my broadcasting career and, you know, that had come to a bit of a, I think, a standstill to the, from the point that I really didn't really enjoy it as much. I wanted to be in the car and look to try and reinvent myself, try to find opportunities elsewhere. You did really well uh, broadcasting, but it just wasn't your calling. Do you think that it ever will be? You know, I didn't really, you know, want to talk about what I still wanted to be doing. You know, I'm asking the question, asking questions and, you know, I know what the answer is and then I have to listen to what they say. And, you know, I just, I just really, I enjoyed doing it. You know, I was comfortable doing it and felt relatively proficient at it, but I really wanted to still be driving. You know, you just, you have a window of opportunity to drive and it's like, I felt like I'm, you know, I learned some things, enjoyed it, said I did it, but I still wanted to drive. So what I did was I started looking to try to put my own teams together. And start trying to go out and procure some sponsorship, get back on the hunt, and was able to put together some small deals here and there, right? And just kept trying to put sponsorship on the board and started my teams. And uh, I tried to team up with certain individuals. I, you know, I tried to team up with Mark Smith uh, with the TriStar deal with engines, and I tried doing some things with Warren Johnson from Drag Racing. I uh, just trying to find, you know, a little bit of a, a niche, you know, try to find a collective effort with some folks, right, to see if we could parlay something into where we could get off the mark. And nothing seemed to really stick until um, John Walters, who had been like a bird dog out there looking for sponsorship, always finding deals, right? But small deals. That was his forte. And he got it. He got us an audience with Friendly's Ice Cream. So we ended up going up there together and sitting in them and trying to pitch them on the deal and was able to get a sponsorship deal from Friendly's Ice Cream for the Cup Series for the 2003 season. So it was my own team. I hired Ernie uh, Cope, my cousin, to be the crew chief. And it was a good good relationship uh, in my own buildings that I had. And uh, basically just uh, didn't have a lot of sponsorship. I think we had about $900,000 to run, you know, X amount of races. And probably... The decision was mine to try to run more races and give them, you know, more races, right? Give them opportunity to showcase the brand, build the brand identity and exposure for them in more races. But I think maybe we didn't, you know, we had to make some choices on our engine program and what we did. And maybe just, you know, we maybe didn't make the right choices and we didn't have enough power and, you know, we didn't really run. So you tried to do more. Try to do more with with the money. With a little. With the money than we probably should have. Probably should have spent run half the races that we did, and tried to and run them better. better, and try to put you know better engines in there, and really tried to do that and showcase it for them, uh, instead of trying to run more races and endear them into the fact that we were building, driving a consistent message to the consumer. And I was doing, you know, appearances. We were doing a lot of sampling with the products, doing promotions. I and mean, Friendly's ice cream is not just ice cream for listeners that aren't from over here. It's uh, also burgers. And it's kind of like a, would you say it's like a, a Denny's or more like a 
Well, they had, they had their own, like you said, brick and mortar, right? They mm-hmm. had, they had actual, you know, restaurants where they served, you know, ice cream, but they also served Sundays, but they had burgers, they had, you know, chicken fingers, they had, you know, a menu, salads and all that and a place to sit. But, uh, you know, a lot of it was, you know, the, you know, the distribution that they had in the retailers. And so we built a lot of promotions, a lot of special, uh, things, you know, uh, you know, for charities and, you know, coloring contests, you name it. We tried to really work hard and do appearances, you know, even the show cars things and just really tried to do as Yeah, the show car was cute with yeah. the ice cream cones all over it. So we did a lot of things and I just, I really put, you know, a lot of effort into it. I know Ernie and the guys really did too. We were a small group. I think we only had maybe, maybe eight guys, something like that. Uh, Trent Owens, who is a crew chief at, was a crew chief for Ernie at JTG Motorsports and now is up at Colleague uh, in the Cup Series. He was my engineer. And, uh, of course, you know, my cousin Ernie and then uh, Suitcase, who's passed away. But, you know, just a, a bunch of good guys. And we had a ball, had a really good time. You know, we controlled it ourselves. And, you know, we had a major sponsor on the car. And, you know, we we went at it as best we could. Um, you know, I ended up I ended up getting hurt really badly in with, within that period of time, too. I drove uh, a guy, uh, it was Jay Robinson's, but he was in conjunction with Dan Shaver. And... Uh, you know, I drove that car at Richmond and, uh, the throttle, there's a problem with the throttle the throttle hung wide open and went straight head on the wall. And, uh, is that when everyone thought you were dead? Yeah, Covered the car yeah. over with the well, yeah, tarp? They, that was, uh, I think that one was actually St. Louis. Oh, that's right. When I was airlifted out with the helicopter. But this was, uh, the one that broke me up the worst. Uh, this one here shattered my shoulder blade in like, you know, 12 pieces and broke my sternum broke my ribs broke my leg i had vision problems my left eye ribs you know just really really hurt me but i was out of the car for a long period of time and kevin lepage filled in for me and uh you know had some good efforts for us as well but loud one uh, for one race and some other places but uh it was a tough time tough year uh but you know we were able to you know get through it and um but friendlies it just, you know, they didn't really have the, the funding or the money and they didn't re-up for the next year. So here I am, you know, again, I have all this equipment and, you know, we've done all these things, you know, you don't have much money in the bank because you've tried to stretch it to run a lot of races to build value for them. But at that point, you know, uh, my cousin Ernie had been offered a job at, at Robert Yates Racing and I just told him to go. You know, I said, I don't think I can fund this on my own and I don't want to hold you back and I want you to I think you're a talented crew chief. I said, you'll go on for, for good things. I said, they have the money to go to wind tunnels and you name it. I said, you just need to go, you know, be a part of that learn everything you can parasite, every knowledge, all the knowledge you can and, you know, and do all those things so you can, you know, be the best that you can be, you know, and, and certainly he did that. He went on to Kevin Harvick and then on to JTG and has made a great, uh, a great living for himself and been very productive over the years, you know, well-respected in the, in the cup series. So it was a good move for him. And then, at that point, I had acquired a, what they called, you know, like provisionals. And we had run enough races where we had provisional starting spots. So I got in a situation where I spoke uh, with Beth Ann Morgenthal and her husband, Tony, who owned BAM Racing. And BAM being her initials. Like, correct. Yep. And they were, you <laughs> I know, always wonder where that name came from. Yeah, Beth Ann Morgenthal. Uh, a very sweet woman. Uh, her husband, they were, you know, very, you know, they're wealthy, but very, very pleasant people to be around. Right. And 
and we spoke and the opportunity kind of was really one of a collaboration because, you know, you know, they're running a limited schedule. So having provisionals really helped put them in a position like if we didn't go fast off or misqualifying or rain happened, then you would have an opportunity to be in the race. Right. So I took my provisionals over there and we went and uh, headed to Daytona and, uh, you know, made the race at Daytona. I think we had something happened there. I might've either got, might've got hit or got wrecked or part of it. We finished the race, I think, but not really, uh, you know, that competitive, but went on to have some, a pretty productive year in, in a lot of respects, had some great qualifying efforts and some great runs going one being Darlington. Uh, I think we, we went out, uh, I don't remember when we went out early and, uh, sat on the pole and was first for a ver- for a while and ended up qualifying fifth. And had a really good run there and, you know, then went on and, uh, went to Texas and, um, ended up running in the top five at Texas, had a really fast race car there. Uh, it really was like in a position to have an excellent run. And then something happened where they, we cooked the, uh, U joint out of the, out of the thing and, uh, didn't get to finish, you know, which took us out of it. So ultimately I don't really, I didn't really understand, um, what happened there. Uh, but I think it was another one of those deals where, you know, the crew chief was really trying to keep himself in the, in the deal and wanted to bring another driver in and wanted me to, you know, they basically going to let me go. So they kind of used up my provisionals and <laughs> How you know, nice of them. got me through the year. Right. And, and we had some really good, good runs going, but you know, the car had problems, you know, they wouldn't finish. They had things happen all the time. They'd make mistakes or whatever. And, you know, primarily it really, I felt like they're really, I had done a creditable job in the car and, uh, you know, thought that we could, you know, that I deserved to probably be in there, you know, for a while and, uh, didn't happen. Um, they made a change. I think they put Tabo nine in or whatever, and they really didn't do any better. And, uh, so, you know, again, it's just like you say, when you have inherent problems or you have things that are, you know, within the system, right? The culture is the way it is, the people, the way it is, you, you don't change that. So another one of those stories, uh, and you know, you're kind of left hanging in the lurch once again, right? And you're in the mid, you know, mid two thousands now, right? And, uh, still without a full-time ride, you're just, you know, looking at every small opportunity you can to stay relevant and stay in the uh, public eye. And, you know, that's, that's how it went. That's how it goes. And that's kind of the way it went for, you know, a period of time. And, you know, again, I was still staying in the cup series, had not really ventured out and looked for anything in the Bush series or the truck series really was just trying to do what I loved. And I felt like that, you know, I wanted to put my focus on that. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, um, I really, I wanted to put my effort there. So kept working on that. And, uh, kept trying to put, you know, something else together. And then, you know, from there I, I went into a, an, I guess a time period that is hard to talk about to some degree, just simply because, you know, it was a period of, of, of a lot of ridicule and a, and a time frame in NASCAR where yeah, a lot of things were frowned upon and that was starting and parking. It was a time when the business model a few people started doing it, you know, in the, in the Bush series. And, uh, and then it kind of filtered up to the cup series because there was a lot of money in the cup series at that point, just to start a race. And you could go and, and like qualify for the event. If you had a good car and a good engine and a good driver, you go qualify for the race. And then you would just run a portion of the race 
uh, and not wear out your equipment and live to, you know, race another day. So basically it was that you didn't have enough funding to run a full race. Correct. Nor equipment. I think, you know, gentlemen just, you know, would, would try to go out and buy the best car they could, an engine and, and driver situation with a small group of people. And they may have, you know, they like, for instance, really the one that really kind of started the whole thing, you know, for me getting involved, you know, was Ray McGlynn. Uh, and uh, Ryan McGlynn had been a driver. His son had been a driver in the truck series, you know, back in like 2004-ish and through 2005. And Basically, he, you know, was looking at trying to do this cup car and he had gotten involved with Carl Long and they had, you know, tried to put some races together. Right. And, you know, I think it had been a difficult patch for them. Right. And I know that they had made, made a race or two or done some things, but struggled. And then they asked me to drive the car. They had uh, a car entered for Carl to drive at Martinsville. And they asked me if I would drive. And I said, well, I said, I thought, you know, Carl was driving either car. He said, well, he was, you know, but we, we've been struggling. And I said, look, I don't, I don't want to draw. I don't want to take that ride from Carl along. You know, Carl, you know, he's a hard worker. He's a nice guy. He's trying to feed a family and race. And I said, I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I said, if you'll take a second car, I'll go in the second car, but I'm not taking Carl's ride. And they must have talked about it and decided to do that and put another group together, took a second car to Martinsville. So Carl and I went up there as teammates and, and tried to make the event. And, you know, obviously it, it didn't, it didn't work out well for Carl. You know, he didn't make the race and I did. And so I qualified for the event and then started the race and, and, uh, and ran the race. And, you know, at that point, again, you know, you always, you always feel bad for people. And, and again, that's when it kind of like took Carl out of the car and put me in the car. And, and then we started a, a deal with, with McGlynn and they, we had struggles. The cars they had weren't very good and they had bought some Penske cars, but they had cut all the mounting points out of them. They didn't really know where the geometry was at. The things were just in disarray and you really couldn't get the speed out of the car. So we ended up hiring uh, a kid that actually worked there and that kind of got us back in the realm to where the car was proficient and went back at it. And all of a sudden started making races and relatively, I mean, not easily, but not, I mean, it was like we all, we found speed and we ended up having Joey Arrington motor in the car. And I forget, I think it was Texas. We went to Texas and we made the race and it's a difficult, Texas is a difficult place to make a race mm -hmm. and it's, it's tough to find speed. And we went out there and, and, uh, and made the race and that started the, I think the onslaught for us to start making races, becoming very productive. And Ray, you know, I was, Ray was paying me well if I made the race. So there was, it was an incentive based relationship. So but it was a start and park deal. Basically, you knew you were going to get paid if you made the race. So if all efforts and, and funding right, was, was um, centered around qualifying. And May, at that point, yeah. there was a lot of cars in the field. You had to beat five, six, seven cars 
today you don't have near that field. Yeah, so you, we were, we didn't have provisionals, so we had to make the race on speed, right? So we and we were up against you know high quality caliber cars, and we had a small whiz, the wizard. Wizzy, <laughs> Dominic Turse out of uh, Wilkes Bear Scranton. That's where McGlynn Racing was at. And uh, Wizzy's become a great friend of ours. And, uh, you know, all the guys that were working on the car up there, you know, um, just a great, great group of people. And the volunteers as well that came in on the weekends, right? Just a, a great group, became friends. And, uh, you know, we had a, we had modest success. And I think the starting park, you know, thing was, it was a difficult thing to do. And it was difficult on you. And I think that's what listeners need to understand. And the average NASCAR fan doesn't understand that the start and park was for those teams that would have just faded off into the sunset had that opportunity not been afforded them. And it allowed them to stay in the business and to make a livelihood for that crew. Yeah. And we had some sponsors and that's how the relationship with Sundance Vacations came about. And that was an enduring that, you know, we'd still, you know, find still have them as sponsors later on. later on and, uh, uh, Royal administration, uh, you know, which was, you know, um, involved cause he had car lots. And, and so obviously these lots. sponsors were coming and enjoying the event. They were, we, we, it was kind of a deal where it was like a personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people are coming to the races and spending time there, even though in some races we try to run a little longer in or whatever, but you know, we just, you had to pick your fights, right? You only had so much money and it costs a lot, you know? And, uh, you know, again, our, our thoughts were that, you know, again, you're out of sight, out of mind, right? And everybody that was in this deal loved racing, you know, to the fullest degree of the word, right? And wanted to be at the highest level was hoping that we could work on trying to find sponsorship. If you can go prove that you can, you know, get a ticket to the dance, you can make races, right? You're obviously worthy of having some sponsorship to the point where you could escalate the program. So I guess it's like the, the deals where you, you always want to believe that the next great sponsorship is right around it's the right, corner. Yes. And right? that this is a stepping stone to it. It is. And so it's about self-belief and you keep pushing and fighting the good fight. And people want to, you know, ridicule you for starting and parking and, you know, taking a spot up for somebody's going to run the race. Well, you know what? If they weren't good enough to be in the race in the first place, so be it. Right. So the bottom thing is like qualifying was qualifying your win. was my win and that was my way to go prove to the other guys that couldn't make the race that maybe you got the wrong guy in there <laughs> right if if they can't make the race then why are they in the car so as my you know mirror to the to the soul right you know say hey you know i'm going out here and i'm putting it on the line you know and i'm showcasing in modest equipment worse equipment than what you have and we're outrunning you and this is some big names. I mean, for instance, I mean, we went to Charlotte Motor Speedway, you know, and we ended up qualifying for the event. And Michael Waltrip did not. And I guess, you know, Ty Norris and, you know, those guys, they they went to uh, you know, to McGlynn and, and and they and they came and wanted to to, you know, basically take our my ride. So I had to get out of the seat. And they paid, you know, I had to write a contract that night and put it all together for them and ensure that we got paid. They were going to rebuild our motor, had to fit Michael in the car. And, you know, here I am. I just went out and made the race at Charlotte, your hometown. And then you got to go home and sit on the couch and, you know, give up your ride. So somebody else paid so they could be in the ride because they had a sponsor. So it's a little demoralizing, right? And embarrassing because you got to leave 
but at the same time, you get to beat on your chest a little bit, right? And that, you know. That someone else wanted what you had. Exactly. Because of your own merit and talent. Exactly right. So, and Charlotte was a tough place to make a race. And, you know, I was always good at qualifying there. Well, and Charlotte was a, is a huge field, always has been, because everyone, you know, everyone and their brother and their dog tries to go make Charlotte because it's yeah. right here in our own backyard. So it's not expensive to go to that race. And so a lot of the, and the majority of the teams, well, almost all the teams are right here in this area. So that is one, um, just telling our listeners that you're going to see triple the amount of tries um, to qualify into that race. And that goes for the Xfinity as well as the cup. So every year, uh, regardless of what we were doing, I know we were always trying to make Charlotte and it is a very difficult track to, to qualify on. Yeah. And you know, so again, that's just to give some perspective on, you know, your thoughts and your mindset and, you know, and that's what we were doing. And, you know, Ray and Wizzy and all of us worked really hard at trying to, to make, make races, you know, and I remember going to Chicagoland, you know, and, uh, you know, and we ended up failing there, but we were really fast in practice. I mean, Bill Elliott was at Bill Elliott was there in another car and I forget who else there, but we were faster than all of them for qualifying. And I mean, we were, I mean, fast and I was new that we were going to be in the race. I mean, I just, I, I had them by the balls and, uh, we basically went out to qualify and they left the lug nuts loose. Oh no. Yeah. Left the lug nuts loose. The tires come off? They didn't come off, but I mean, the car, I, I took off immediately and the thing, you know, coming to the green, you know, the, the tires started vibrating so bad. You couldn't hardly even, you knew what was wrong. So and, you just had to come in. Did, I didn't. I stayed on it. I stayed in it. I drove the living piss out of it and just tried to drive it as hard as I could drive it and just hang on. It's vibrating all over the place. And what if you would have wrecked? I, I didn't care. I wanted to make the race bad enough. And I tried and I laid it on the line, did all I could do. And we barely, we, we missed the race, you know, but come back in, I said, this thing was just, something's wrong. I said, somebody's done something and left the lug nuts loose or whatever. I said, sure enough. I mean, all the rims were, you know, oblonged out all the holes and stuff. And it was devastating. Everybody was mad and everybody was upset and, you know, but for me, I was like, you know what? Okay. Hey, we made a mistake. But prior to that, the caliber of cars that we were out running again shows you right there that we are not deficient. Yeah. And the majority of your crew were volunteers. Yeah. And so, but Wizzy did a really good job. He's a student of the sport, uh, really worked hard on the cars up there and they brought a quality piece. We bought some nice cars, Ray bought some nice cars and, and we worked hard at it. And, uh, you know, that was a fun year for me, even though you take the ridicule and you're starting a park and you're not getting a chance to race, but it still gave you an opportunity to go showcase your potential, go show people that you are still relevant. You're still able to go out there and lay a line, you know, lay a lap down, you know, with the best of them and outperform your peers with far less equipment. Absolutely. Right. And you're just hopeful that somebody's watching and that somebody is going to give you an opportunity in the next deal. And that's how and that's really what the starting parking thing was about. And some guys, maybe not, maybe, you know, like guys like Jay Robinson and, and some of those guys, it was really just a business model and they used it to make money, but to fund another car, it was like a helper where they would run two cars, run was a starting park and it helped fund the other car. And again, fed families, fed people, 
fed the drivers and let the drivers still be relevant or have an opportunity to maybe learn. Some drivers didn't have as much experience and they got to do that deal if they could qualify well enough. Right. So it just, again, it's just, it was a time that. Well, it was a time within the sport that it was allowed and they certainly knew about it. Yeah. Um, they were not, uh, laying any laws against it. No. And I think, you know, obviously people started complaining later about it. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of cars and the problem became that it became a business later on, you know, a lot of guys, and and I think Jay started doing it more where they would bring more cars, right. And become where though pretty soon you had six, eight cars, sometimes, you know, if they made the races, right. They would send some quality cars home or, you know, some guys, right. And then you would start and park and then four, six, eight, start doing it. And then you have the field down to right. 33 or 32. Right. And so, you know, that became a real deterrent. In later years, I saw that, but that certainly was well, well yeah, beyond was well after you later stopped years. doing yeah, that. Yeah. It was, it was definitely later, but you know, again, you know, the deal was, is it seemed like I was, I got to a point where it just seemed like the cars and things that I was in, right. You know, we're just, you know, you're going out there and it's more about self-gratification. You know, you know, when you had a really good lap, you know, when you laid it on the line and you, you pulled it out, you made the race when nobody expected you to make the race. And really at that point, that's all you could really take from it and a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to say it it was a business and, and you were still, um, you were doing, uh, shocks on the side or, um, yeah, I had, I had sh- my shock a shim, business. And I, a had, shim business. I, had sh- I had shock absorber. I had shock absorber companies and I was, you know, a shim business. And so I was doing other things, you know, from a business perspective. Certainly had to right? supplement your income, but. But, you know, if you think about it, I mean, just for perspective, right? When I was driving that car for Ray McGlynn, I wasn't getting paid unless I made the race, but I made $10,000 for going out there and laying it on the line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, $10,000 Back um, then, a that's week, a lot of money. Yeah, ten thousand back yeah. then, ten thousand bucks a week to go make the race. Um, it wasn't it wasn't terrible money, and it really was a deal where you know it subsidized your income. It still gave you a chance to go to the racetrack and be seen and uh, do what you love. And you know, at that point, I did. I never was going to let people ridicule. I'm, I wasn't going to take that. It's like you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do what I have to do. It's not your life, and it's my choice. And you know, hopefully, I'll find some way to get back in it full time and drive again. And that was my motivation. Right. Right. Well, and and it was, uh, it was a means to an end. It was a stepping stone, whereas other people certainly did not do it that way, but just wanted to set the record straight on that one. Yeah. I mean, I think it was something that you really don't like discussing because it was a time frame when you hear it, you know, that it has stigma to it. It, it, it did. Yeah. And, uh, it was a time that you, you really weren't doing what you wanted to do, you know, but you know, again, I was still driving a race car. I was still making a living driving a race car. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, life, uh, you know, life goes in. in, in <laughs> life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. Yeah, exactly right. You know, so, you know, I guess, I don't know, when life throws you lemons, you make lemonade. And I guess I was <laughs> making some lemonade, but, you know, a little sour, more sour than what I like. Sour to other people. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> so, but anyways, we'll stop, you know, a little bit there with, you know, where I was at. I mean, obviously from there. Um, the same thing started to progress a little more. Um, I tried to help out, uh, you know, someone and started driving a bush car and doing some, uh, some races. And then, uh, and I started, uh, running some bush series races, trying to, again, get into a deal where I could race a little more, albeit 
the cars that I were driving were, you know, nowhere near the caliber of cars that could run up front, you know, or even the middle of the pack. They were just, you know, I was trying to help build a program, try to get to the point where they can make races and they could, you know, slowly elevate their program and, uh, you know, try to like, get us to the point where we could get better cars. And so you just, you get caught up, you know, and that's kind of where it went for the next period of time. So we'll discuss that later and, uh, move on. And, I want to I want to touch base on a little bit of uh, Formula One. And, you know, I know we have a lot of listeners out there that you know we have not really even touched bases about Formula One or and I love Formula One racing. I love open wheel cars, Indy cars. Obviously, the Indy car season's over, but Formula One is still running. There's still a number of races left. Uh, this weekend, uh, this past weekend was um, the uh, you know uh, Mexican Grand Prix. And the Mexican Grand Prix was, you know, uh, you know, it's close to home and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, interesting things going on around the Red Bull organization right now, obviously, you know, uh, with the, the passing of, uh, Dieter Matzowitz, uh, he basically, you know, uh, was the founder of the Red Bull brand and, you know, started the race teams. And so that was a difficult thing, but they kind of got back in the news again, because, you know, Red Bull was hit with a, a $7 million fine, <laughs> $7 million fine. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. quite a fine. Yeah, I didn't misspeak. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, you know, and a, and a 10% reduction uh, in their aerodynamic testing allocation, which for them is huge. You know, that, that, that like goes, you know, farther down the road and really like, you know, stymies and stifles their learning development, right? With these cars. And when you got to develop a new car each year, that's, that's a big time deal. Uh, the FIA uh, had found that it had breached the budget cap of like 1.8 million pounds in 2021. So they had a budget cap. So NASCAR obviously was in that same kind of process, looking at trying to, you know, get the teams from spending, you know, 25, a couple years million ago, dollars, right. They were starting to audit all the teams and wanting the teams to collectively try to bring the, the budgets down to, you know, somewhere between 12, $15 million. Right. And they really haven't been able to like, get that implemented but f1 certainly not f1 had so they had you know they have salary caps right on what they can spend so you know they breached that and uh the f1 uh, boss uh, christian horner he said that uh, the team uh you know accepted the fia penalty <laughs> begrudgingly but citing uh mitigating factors and called the sanction draconian you know which obviously means you know way too severe harsh you know so but you know i think but they admitted guilt. but they admitted guilt that's correct so well, that's the fine that's the fine seven million dollars right so it just puts perspective when you're spending anywhere between 200 and 400 million dollars a year to run an f1 car you're talking about $7 million, you know, you know, coming out of the deal. I think what that is really, you know, that's probably a suitable deterrent to the rest of the, uh, I think it's racing, right on course, right? Because it's like, look, this is a major fine. You have to stop these guys in their tracks. Right. And it's more fair for the other teams. Right. So yeah. Interesting thing. I just thought I just bring that up a little bit because it was, you know, when you put perspective into how big a business motor racing is, and when they're levering that kind of fines on, you know, on cheating and, you know, misrepresenting what the rules are, I think it's important that you kind of address those things and show that, you know, uh, racing's, you know, big business. Good for the sanctioning body of F1. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting deal. But, uh, you know, where they were racing at was the Autodromo Hermonas, uh, I mean, Hermanos, really, Rodriguez. That's the facility in Mexico City. And I ran a bush race there. And... Uh, Mexico city is 
crazy place and a lot of people. And uh, that's where, um, you know, Carlos Slim is like, like a, the billionaire. He's the richest guy in Mexico City. He backs um, Perez. So it was, uh, you know, one of the Red Bull drivers, right? So it's kind of like his hometown race. And uh, he's won, I think, the last in the last two years there, I think. So, uh, but it was, uh, qualifying there in, in F1 was, um, was a uh, fun to watch. I enjoyed uh, watching that, uh, uh, the transfers from Q1 to Q2 is sort of like what they're doing now in the cup series where you have to qualify first round. Then you get, if you qualify in the top 10, you get to go to the next uh, group two, which kind of what they're doing in cup. Right. So, uh, they were doing, they, they did all that. And basically as it, as it come out, um, you know, uh, Verstappen, as usual here, as of late, you know, they, the Red Bull cars seem to have the most speed. Right. Um, and they ended up on the pole, but Ferrari has been really, uh, doing very well. Leclerc and, um, uh, and science, they've been running very, very fast and finding a lot of speed. And they were really fast at the, uh, um, the circuit of the Americas at Coda. And, uh, of course, you know, science winning the race and, uh, you know, they, the racetrack, the one thing about Mexico city, and I think, uh, you know, maybe for some listeners that maybe are into more than, you know, the little intricacies about reasoning about why things happen, just gives you an example. I mean, typically, you know, Mercedes was on top in the past and they've struggled a little bit. And then now with the new changes in the, in the way that the cars are and the development of new cars and stuff, you know, Ferrari has made some inroads and has been in a position to really outperform and even outperform Red Bull to some degree. And at, at Coda, they were exceptionally fast and really showed a lot of speed in their cars. But when they got to Mexico City, the uh, elevation change and the air density, I mean, you look at, I mean, Mexico City is like set over 7,200 uh, feet above sea level. Most people don't realize how high it is. It's like, it's like I want to say it's, it's all, yeah, I mean, it's like, it might be 70... 7,800 or something like that, but it's, it's well up there, right? It'd be I like mean, us being to, on our uh, highest mountain in the state. Yeah. It's almost like almost 8,000, you know, and there's some places in Guadalajara or some places I think right at 8,000. But so basically, you know, um, the air, right. That becomes a major factor of this, you know, and I think that there was a, uh, you know, the thinner air and the lack of, uh, of oxygen hurt the Ferrari and they noticeably could see uh, some deficiencies in their cars just in that. So just to tell you, there's enough, you know, differences in everybody's, you know, you know, cars are very similar, right? But they all come with different types of, uh, you know, upgrades. So, but just by being an you know, elevation change goes to show you that it didn't fit and didn't suit the Ferrari engine package and they were not up to, up to par. But it didn't really bother any of the others? It didn't bother the others, but it hurt that, that package there. And then some of the other teams like Alfa Romeo has been bringing in some new packages and has made some major inroads. I mean, Botas has done a fantastic job, drove for Mercedes, now in Alfa Romeo, and they have leapfrogged some of the very, very good, talented teams and are vying up there with some of the big teams like Mercedes and Ferrari, like here, uh, you know, this, this weekend, uh, with this past weekend with Botas doing an excellent job. So just goes to show you that, you know, hard work, determination, and just, you know, it's kind of working outside the box and thinking outside the box, bringing different wing combinations, winglets, and working, especially on cooling this weekend, because where they're at in Mexico city, cooling was going to be a factor. So they all showed up with different louvers in the cars themselves, trying to find ways to keep the cooling and, and, you know, eliminate the opportunity of getting, uh, you know, in a problem with, with, uh, overheating. So interesting aspects leading up to the race, but you know, the race, it was interesting because Mexico city, 
at that racetrack there, there is a very long front straightaway. When we ran there, they put a chicane in there to stop us for, to, to break the speed up there. But in the F1, they don't do that. So being on the pole was almost, could be a detriment because you get, you get the toe. And when a DRS, you know, doesn't happen for the first part of the race, but when you get a toe there, those things, they get a big run. So fending off the cars in second and third would be difficulty. But as it worked out, you know, Verstappen, you know, and Red Bull had a great run and ended up, you know, winning the race, but Hamilton did a really, a really nice job, uh, ended up second. So it showed that, you know, Mercedes is making some gains, finding some speed back again. And, uh, you know, Russell probably had a shot at the pole, but, uh, got off track a little bit and didn't quite pull it off and, uh, and Verstappen beat him, but showed signs that they were definitely there. But, uh, Hamilton had some problems in Q, uh, three, I think shoot starting Q2, Q3, some problems with the engine. Uh, I think something more electrical, maybe ignition wise. And the thing lost some power and he ended up second. So he felt like that he had the capabilities if they didn't have that problem to have had a shot running for pole, which that was only their real second shot at the pole this year. So been a tough year on Mercedes, but you can see they're starting to fight back. So I thought it was a nice lead up to the race. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the race kind of was, you know, less eventful. Uh, and you know, uh, you know, Ferrari did struggle at the back or in the middle of the pack and Verstappen won the race. Hamilton was second and, uh, Perez was third. So in his hometown, he was on the podium. So, uh, obviously made all the, uh, the Spanish folks down there in Mexico city happy and, uh, you know, a good race overall, but, uh, just wanted to touch base a little bit on F1 because I know there's a lot of, uh, people out there and Timbo especially is, uh, wanting <laughs> shout out to Timbo, shout out to Timbo. I know he's, uh, you know, interested. I thought I'd give him a little shout out there and let him know that our uh, new son-in-law. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to, uh, you know, be a little bit more uh, about the F1, give him some insight into what, uh, what I hear and what's going on just uh, cause I know he has a, a great interest in it and so do I. So, yeah, well, let's uh, talk a little bit here. We don't have much time, but we, uh, really need to uh, talk about what happened in the cup race in Martinsville with the final four being decided. And, uh, it was quite the finish. Yeah. The race itself actually was, you know, pretty interesting all day long. You know, I think that, you know, you know, guys started out, uh, showing a lot of speed. And looked like that they were going to be forces to be reckoned with. Uh, you know, the racetrack, you know, it took some rug rubber and uh, guys were running different lines. Uh, and it was interesting because, you know, you, you started to see some guys, um, you know, that you would, you know, thought they're going to really struggle all day. You know, I think one was Christopher Bell qualified poorly, right? I started way back uh, and had to win. And then you had a guy like Chase Briscoe who started up front. He had a really good qualifying effort and had to win, but ended up making a mistake on pit road and they left the fuel, uh, uh, can. can in and it drug it on pit road out of the box. So that, you know, that put them, that put them back and they had to come back from that and struggled to do that. But he did had a really fast race car, put himself in a position to get back up in the mix, which was interesting to watch. And then it seemed like, you know, back and forth, uh, you know, you really, the, the two you really were watching the most of the time was Hamlin and, and Chastain, because those are the two that were going the closest back and forth point wise. Right. And then, uh, and beating and banging each other and already had really uh bad blood between them to begin with. Yeah. A lot of bad blood. Right. I think, uh, it was, uh, you know, I mean, if you, and then throughout the race, right. It was just like the comers and the goers. Right. And 
then you just kept watching and, and slowly, but surely you could see Christopher Bell was making some gains and getting up there. And he had already, you know, he, and he'd already won a race earlier to get, you know, into the next uh, top four. Right. And then had some bad races, got wrecked in the bubble. He was collected in the, uh, Bubba Wallace, uh, Larson deal at, at Vegas, which, you know, just really put him out of the points. Right. So it became a must win scenario for he and Briscoe both. So all eyes were kind of on those cats. Right. And, uh, so it got to like, I think about 90 laps to go or so. And, you know, and who had found himself at the front, Christopher Bell, Christopher Bell had, they'd found the speed in the car. They'd, you know, I think very methodically worked their way to the front and, Next thing you know, Bell's leading the race. Blaney, who has to win also, because he's out of the points as well, right? He has to win. So you got Blaney now in the mix and Bell. And in and and I think Elliot was, I think, third, Larson was fourth, and Hammond was fifth. And that was like 90 to go. But oh how the complexion would change. <laughs> and it it's ironic. As it always does at Martinsville. Like it always does, right? I mean, Martinsville is just one of those places, right? And uh at that time I think Chastain was like maybe thirteenth or so. And uh he was down like maybe eleven points to Hamlin. Mm -hmm. And uh so you really it was intriguing for you to just you know, and the cover TV coverage kept you aware of all. Well, Martinsville's nice because you can see so many cars at once. You know, the uh the television the is optics. so the optics is so poor at most NASCAR races because all they ever see, all you ever see from a fan perspective from the TV is the front runners. You don't see what's the battles that are going on mid pack and back pack, which sometimes are way more entertaining than what's going up front. But Martinsville, you can see it all. And I know when I was making pitches to sponsors, I would say Martinsville is a great one if you want to get brand exposure because you will get on TV. Plus, you know, of the optics, right? You're so, the cameras are so close to the racetrack that the sponsor, uh, you know, letters uh, and logos stand out. Pop so out. Well. You see the car way greater and it, the resolution is just way better. And it's just a great place to view a race, both from television as well as being there. Absolutely. Right? So one of the best places to go. And all the sponsors we ever had, right? Really loved that aspect of it, right? And uh, so, but anyways, uh, we were getting down, I think with, about, you know, 25 laps to go, right? And uh, there was a caution. And guess who, uh, you know, Christopher, Christopher Bell's leading. And it always comes down to the choices, right? And at that point, you know, they all have tires left. And so, you know, they want to, you know, basically they're hoping that, you know, he comes down pit road that they all follow him in, right? Well, they all do. Most everybody follows Christopher Bell in. And uh, the two that don't, that stay out, Chase Briscoe and Custer. So they stay out and <laughs> you just, I mean, you're on used tires, but you know, you know, both of those guys, I mean, Custer again, he, he's fighting for his ride. And I mean, he is doing all he can do and they're teammates. So what they do, there's no teammates in NASCAR, There's no teammates in NASCAR, but they, they both, they both take the opposite. You know, one takes the inside, one takes the outside and they start the restart and Briscoe gets the lead. And luckily, I mean, uh, Custer does a really nice job and managed to, uh, out, out duel. I think it was Larson and then Jane gets in front of him and dives to the bottom and he's behind him. And then a couple of the guys back there start, you know, beating and banging. I think it was Keselowski and Larson. They started going at each other and Larson, uh, Keselowski was just, all over everybody. I mean, pushing them up, moving them up, hitting them. I mean, just 
completely just, you know, looked like a maniac. And his just, typical stance, you know, it was just, it was just all over the place. Uh, but good race and good TV and uh, stirring the pot. But that allowed um, Briscoe to get out there quite a ways and Custard to like get some gap as well and separate themselves. So really turned out to be uh, fun to watch. And then, you know, everybody in the back are just, I mean, they're gouging. I mean, and everybody's, you know, trying to find the, you know, and, and Hamlin, you know, him and him and Chastain got into it and Chastain did a nice job, kind of backed out to like, I think, preserve a two, uh, two point lead and let him go. But then Hamlin just took off, was able to start gapping and, and putting cars between him, got on the front side by like four or five points. I think it was by four or so. And then it dropped to about two. And then, you know, we got towards the latter, the, the very last part of the race. And coming around for the checkered flag, <laughs> it's amazing to me. But, you know, by that time, you know, Christopher Bell had new tires. You know, when he, when he pitted, he was the first one with tires. He managed to work his way up and got by everybody. He ran down Custer, did away with Custer, and then caught Briscoe and did away with Briscoe and then got out front. And pretty much... At that point, you know, had Blaney and Blaney had been behind him. He kind of like drove away from Blaney. And so it kind of, you know, put him in a position to, uh, to, you know, get it, you know, win his way back in the very last lap. Yeah. Denny Hamlin has, uh, Chastain by two points and he's battling to get up there and pass more cars. Well, you think he's got it in the bag. You think he's got it in the bag. You're on the final lap, yeah. and he's two points ahead. He's two points ahead. So you, final lap. He's underneath. So you pretty Keselowski. much know which the, you, you pretty much have named the four the final four He's at that underneath point. Keselowski about to try to get another point, right? A cushion. Mm -hmm. And they touch, they hit, they, and they, you know, they drag themselves down on the corner and they're on the very bottom side. Well, in the meantime, Chastain has put this thing in fifth gear, gone to the outside, put it up against the wall and, and goes wide open. It was never lifts. I've never seen such a thing in my life. It it's it was the most bizarre looking. It was almost like it was a cartoon. Like, <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, here's this roadrunner just passing everybody up, and you're like, how can he be doing that? Because he's in the fence. It's he's in the it, wall. It's like something you would do in eye racing. It was like like you say. It looked like animated, right? And animation. And he is. I mean, he, he just went right up to the wall. He drove it down the back straight, drove in turn three, put it right on the wall and then just put it in fifth gear and then matted the gas and never lifted and drove it in the wall, on the wall, all the way around the corner and just ran it full wide open while everybody else is out of the gas coasting on the bottom. And he's running all the way around the brim and hitting the wall, tearing the car up and then comes down the front straight away. And meanwhile, Hamlin and, and, and Kelly Keselowski are still going at it and they leave a gap on the outside. And here comes Chastain and he runs all the way up alongside it and just passes Denny Hamlin, beats him by a nose and takes the win and you know, puts himself into the championship run at Phoenix and Hamlin's out. And of course, y'all have already watched this and we're recanting it as if you haven't, but it's just amazing. I mean, you can hear the, the animation in Derek's voice and I, I just kept looking at him like, how can that not slow the car down? You are in the wall. I mean... Any racer or any person who knows racing knows that you want to avoid the wall. You do not want to go anywhere close to the wall. The wall tears down your tire. The wall slows you down. It tears up your car. And so I asked Derek, I said, so why is it that he was able to do that, especially at such a high speed, 
and not tear up the car. Yeah. Well, he got against the wall, you know, without like just driving into it and then creating an impact, right? He just went up there and leaned on the thing and then they just buried But the you throttle, also right? said that this car allowed this, the rigidity yeah. this, of this car. This body, different. the way it is and all that, you know, it is, it is, it does take some abuse and it keeps going and it didn't kill the fenders because he got up against it with, you know, without a major impact. And it just like he didn't blow a tire or he didn't hit the, like you said, the gate there that he talked about, you know, the one that you exit the racetrack on. And, uh, but he didn't care. I mean, he had nothing to lose. And you know what? You got to give this kid credit. He wanted it bad enough. And he did something that, you know, you would, like you said, he did on a computer, you know, early in your years and what you continue to play with. And he tried something that no one had tried. This was very emblematic of what, what, uh, Carl Edwards did at Kentucky at uh, Kansas trying to beat, um, I think I can't remember if it was Jimmy Johnson or Kyle Larson, whoever it was, but, but he it drove didn't in. work. Didn't work because he drove in and went straight up past him, slide job, and hit the wall and then, you know, broke everything. Whereas Chastain did it going in, you know, you're going less amount of speed, no major, compa- uh, you know, contact, drove it all the way around to uh, to success. So, you know what, kudos to, uh, to Ross Chastain. I'm not a Ross Chastain fan, as you know, but I have to say that was a brilliant it move. It was, yeah. I, I, I get it. You got to commend him on something that was... Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. And, uh, you know what, uh, I know that, uh, Justin Marks and everybody at track house were related and, uh, it's fun to see good things happen. You know, when a guy makes, puts it, puts it out on the line. Right. And obviously he's done that all year. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, it was a, a good ending. So I know it was a lot of fun. I know you enjoyed it. I know we did. So, um, that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, you know, want to, want to thank everybody for listening. Um, again, uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, episode 11, and we'll uh, be talking more about the championship weekend at Phoenix. So there's going to be a lot more to talk about, a lot more exciting things. And, and we are uh, going to be uh, looking at your comments and questions and suggestions as well. So make sure you tune in for that. Yeah, and we'll be talking about CODA for the Trans Am Series as well. So yes, CODA is coming up. A lot of championships there are going to be, uh, be determined as well. So we'll talk more about that. So a lot to talk about in our next episode, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you then. All right, guys, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.